Father, I ask you today to really move upon us with the power of your spirit and that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. I pray, God, that you would speak to us and strengthen us and stir us, God, for the moment that we're living in, because it is an exciting time. And I thank you, Father, for the demonstration of your power in your life through your church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this incredible relationship we get to have with you and to be able to witness your miracles and your power, God. Father, we believe that there is so much more that you want to do and you want to use us in. And we say yes to you, God. We say yes to everything that you desire. We say yes to running this race. We say yes to finishing strong. We say yes to being soldiers of Jesus Christ. We say yes, even if it requires the rejection of the world, which it will, and and the scorn maybe of those that might be around us. We say yes to you, God, in every way. And we thank you and we celebrate you, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So I want you to turn with me to a scripture this morning and probably going to read three or four scriptures. But the first one's in Ephesians chapter three. And I wanted to read something that is dear to my heart here. It has been for since I've started in ministry. And I, and I, I want you to have an understanding of what this means to me. Now, while you're turning there, I want to speak a proverb to you. And I'd just like to ask you to hide it in your heart because we're going to come back to it towards the end of this message if the Lord leads in that way. And the proverb that I want to speak to you is Proverbs 14.1. Every wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. So I'd just like for you to get that in your heart. A foolish wife, a foolish woman will tear her own house down with her own hands. And so I don't think it's something that she would intend to do or even want to do or plan to do, but it's just something through folly that begins to happen because of actions that she might take. So just get that in you, and we're going to visit this again towards the end of this message. I wanted to explain to you the church of Jesus Christ that all through the Old Testament, it was not seen. The prophets did not understand the church. Jesus spoke of the church, but he didn't explain the church. And it was not till the Apostle Paul would come that God would give a revelation to somebody who would be able to disclose that and unveil that to all of humanity, and particularly to those of faith, the church of Jesus Christ, and really what it means and what it is and what we get to be involved in. The simple definition of church is a gathering of people. This is from the Thayer's Greek Dictionary. It is a gathering of people called out from their homes into some public place to worship and fellowship. That is the Thayer Greek definition of church. We're called to fellowship. We're called to move from places of isolation into places where we can gather together as groups and multitudes for the public worship and demonstration of God to the nation. The world is going to be saved not simply because we preach the true gospel, but because the true gospel is demonstrated by the church of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said that I fully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans 1, he said he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. It was the power of God to save. In Romans 15, he said, I fully preach the gospel by 
preaching it in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in power. I believe that's what God is committed to doing. He's always been committed to that, but I believe that this is what God is committed to doing in the last days. And I believe he's raising up a church that is committed to doing that as well. And that Jesus Christ is going to receive the glory. And for that to happen, then he has to have a people who are committed to the definition of church. And that is to leave our, our secluded homes and places and gather together publicly to worship and demonstrate the Lord Jesus Christ. The word fellowship, which we're going to see in just a moment, means joint participation, intercourse, and intimacy. And that's what the word fellowship means. Because a lot of times when we might read these words that we're about to read, we might think of fellowship as, you know, we just get together to have a good time. But fellowship is so much more than that. And and I describe it this way. My body is in fellowship with itself right now. And there's a harmony going on in my body. And by that, I know that I'm well. If, if something were to begin to happen in my body that it wasn't normal fellowship, then I would begin to experience a pain or a discomfort in my body. If I started to have a pain in my kidney or my liver or my heart, I would understand something's not right in the body. But I don't have those issues right now, so I know that everything is functioning properly. And so my body is in fellowship, and the life of my body is the blood. And my body right now is very careful to not covet a particular issue of life. But every particular part of my body right now is in the process of giving and taking. And so blood is circulating through my body, and there's not one aspect of my physical body that is saying, you know what, I really like this blood, and I'm not going to give it up. But it gets it, and it gives it, and therefore it circulates through my body. And if it were to not do that, I would probably die uh, not very long from now. The life of the church is the Holy Spirit. And it is very important that the Holy Spirit has the means of flowing through the body. This is fellowship of the church. The Holy Spirit's life has to move through the body. And in order for the Holy Spirit to move through the body, you have to be aware that he has to be able to move through my life. And if I'm just a Christian who is receiving from God, but I'm not giving it away, then I could be detrimental to the health of that body and what God wants to do. And so in order for me to function as the church, it is more than a place that I will just leave my house to go to, but it will be a fellowship that I'm a part of where I will receive the life of the Holy Spirit from others, and I will be able to also give that life to someone else. Now, you don't have to be aware of how that happens You just have to believe that the Holy Spirit is in me and he is to move through my life. And God will show you more and more how he might want to use you in the body of Christ. But if you're born again and you're a Christian, then you're in the church and God wants to use you. And he wants to make known in this fellowship his manifold wisdom. And this is where we come in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 9. And Paul says... I want to make all men see what is the fellowship, that that intimacy, that cooperation of the mystery. The word mystery is the church. So I want want everyone to see 
I want them to see it. Now, it doesn't say I want Christian men to see it. I don't want religious men to see it. I want all men to see. That's the world. Jesus said, listen, all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Right? Men are to see this. Church is not to be hidden. We're to be a light on a hill. We're to proclaim this on the housetops. We're to demonstrate this. And so Paul wants everybody to see the cooperation and the intimacy of the church of Jesus Christ. And he wants everybody to see it. And I believe when people begin to see that, that there's going to be a lot of people in our communities that are looking for this kind of life where they have not found it. Looking for this kind of love, this kind of gospel, this kind of salvation, this kind of powerful Holy Spirit that really transforms a life and delivers from addiction and heals from abuses. They're going to be running to Jesus Christ if they could see that type of cooperation and intimacy and fellowship that people have in Jesus Christ. This is the answer to racism. This is the answer to social classes. Because none of that exists in the church of Jesus Christ. Religious people may try to bring it, but church of Jesus Christ, cast it out. It is a demonic spirit of division. It it does not belong in his church. In his church, there is to be love and there is to be community and there is to be family through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when the world sees that, then the world would see there is an answer to our problems in America. And it is the church of Jesus. But what they hear is they hear a lot of preaching and they hear a lot of teaching, but they don't see a lot of demonstrating. May to God we be a church that demonstrates this. What good is the grace that we preach if we don't demonstrate the grace? What good is that? And so this is what we have to do. And so this is Paul's desire. I want to read it again. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God. So all the way up until the days of Paul, from the creation of the world to the days of Paul, God spoke to no one about this. He created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent. His intention is that now. So it began in Paul's day. It continues in our day that now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Not only does Paul want all men to see how beautiful the church of Jesus Christ is, but he also desires for the church to fulfill God's divine intention, which is to demonstrate God's manifold wisdom to principalities and powers. We are supposed to be affecting the kingdom of darkness while we're on earth. Now, I believe that we do. But I believe there's so much that God really wants to happen. So God's intention is that right now, principalities and powers and heavenly places would know by the church. So how are these powers going to know? By the church, not by going to church, but by the church, not by religion, not by committee meetings, not by social activity. 
But principalities and powers are going to know by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So please listen to me. If you care at all for God, then God has limited himself to this one avenue that if principalities and powers are going to know that my manifold wisdom, I depend on you, church, to fellowship. I depend upon you, church, to be the church. Because you are my avenue by which I can demonstrate my life and I can also confound principalities and powers by my wisdom. Now, right there, if you're born again, that should stir up within you such a passion to say to God, oh, I want to. Oh, God, I want to. God, put me down for that. Fill me with your spirit. You begin to pray that right now. Fill me with your spirit. I want to be the church. I want to be in that community. I want to be a part of it. I want this to have to depend upon my life. And you begin to pray that right now. I encourage you to do it. And then he says in verse 11, this is according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and, and when I read that verse, I just kind of like, wow, that's amazing. This is God's eternal purpose. So maybe you've asked the question, why? Why, God? Why did you create the heavens and the earth? Why did you make man? Why did you do all of this? What is all of it for? Well, we can know this for sure, that God's eternal purpose is that through Jesus Christ, God could get a church, a community, a cooperation, and a fellowship of people that have been brought together through the blood of Jesus Christ, in whom and through whom the Holy Spirit of God moves that would reflect and demonstrate the glory of Jesus Christ throughout the universe. That is what God says, I have always wanted from eternity past and into the eternal future. This is what I want my church to do. And you guys are invited to it. Praise God. You're invited to this. What could be better? What, what is it that you could be doing in your life that would take precedent over this? What job? What amount of money that could you possibly make that would trump this right here of an eternal purpose and goal? Now, if you're born again, you would have to admit nothing. Nothing could trump this. And so we need to examine our lives to make sure that this is truly what we're living for. So this is God's eternal purpose. This is what he wants. This is what God wants. So I say to you, lovers of God, do you care about what he wants? And will you... Now, listen to me. I'm not asking you, so will you begin to serve? Will you begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Will you begin? I'm asking this. Will you begin to labor in his grace, in the presence of his Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would be able to get from you what the Father wants? Because the only way the Father's going to get what he wants is not because we rally together and say, that's what he wants, that's what he's going to get, let's go do it. No, it's like, that's what he wants. Holy Spirit, come and get that out of me. And you mean it because now the Holy Spirit's going to influence you. He's going to put somebody on your heart. And he's going to say, you know what? I want you to send them a text and tell them that you love them. Oh, but I don't want to. And they don't know who I am. And they're going to think I'm really weird. This is what I want you to do. Or I want you to send them a card. Or I want you to make a meal for somebody that just came home from the hospital. I don't know how to cook. I'm going to teach you. 
I'm going to teach you. I want you to do this. Stop limiting me in your life by saying what you can and cannot do and step out into the joyful adventure of what I can do through you. Start doing that. Because Christianity is just all too boring. It really is. But not this kind. This is incredible. It really is. And so you, you, you go on with this. So I, want to, I just wanted to read some of this about the manifold wisdom of God. God's grand purpose in the creation of the universe was that the wisdom of God would be clearly shown by the church. It would not be seen, though it can be demonstrated in many aspects. His power certainly is, but his wisdom would not simply be seen in the formation of the sun or the stars or the earth and the seas and the mountains and the floods. If you want to see the greatest spectacle on earth, we shouldn't be looking into the heavens. We should be looking at the church. But not even Christians are captivated by the church. It is not the angelic world that demonstrates the wisdom of God. There are views of the divine character of God which can only be obtained and demonstrated with that which is called the church. The universe was created and man was made upon the earth not merely to illustrate God's divine perfections in the work of his creation but in a more illustrious manner, the work of his redemption. But the church is that one thing on the earth at this moment that has been redeemed. And that redemption, in God's mind, would say, whatever you want, you get. My life is yours. I don't think that modern Christianity deals with it that way. But that is the Christianity of the Bible. And that is the Christianity of the Holy Spirit that he wants to put within us. This wisdom is unto principalities and powers. By the church, by the incarnation of the Redeemer to save the church. By the mercy shown to the church to redeem it. By the grace given to the church to recover his people from the fall. And to keep his people while they walk through this world. And to bring his people home to heaven. And by all the graces and beauties which that redeemed church will demonstrate on earth. Is necessary in showing the wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God just simply means this. It is the multifaceted demonstrations of his wisdom. And the multifaceted demonstrations of God's wisdom all comes together in that which is called the church. The classic illustration would be a tapestry. And if you looked at the back of a tapestry, you would see just threads and you would see chaos. There would not seem to be any order to it. That's what people are saying about our God today. That if a God is a God of love, then why this? And if God is good, why this? And why do I have to suffer this? And why do I have to go through this? And why is there this battle? And why does there seem to be injustice in the world? And all of these people are looking at the backside of a tapestry. And on the other side, God is weaving together his incredible wisdom. And God is going to flip that board over. And you're going to see the wisdom of God. And you're going to see from eternity to eternity. My God, who can curse you? Who can blame you? Who can say that you were wrong? Who can say that you did anything wrong? Everything you did, God was so good. Look at this. The wisdom of God demonstrated that way. 
we look on the back side of it and all we get to see is this part of it. But when it's all put together and it flips back over and all of that is demonstrated in the church. All of that wisdom, we're, we're, the, we're the snapshot of it, if you will. We would be, we would be maybe the little drawing that the tapestry artist is about to produce with the threads and the colors. And, and maybe this is the little drawing and, and we're just the little drawing that God says, this is what I'm doing. This is, you're going to look at all of the threads and the chaos of it, but I want you to know this is my goal. This is what I'm doing. This is the picture. That's what we are. We're the picture of that. We're the picture of that redemption. We're the picture of that health. We're the picture of that authority and that power and that intimacy with God and the beauty of God. In a world without chaos, in a world of love, where people are kind to one another and help one another, and then God is going to flip that over one day and a whole universe is going to be filled with His glory. It's going to be so powerful. There'll be no devil there to mess it up. There'll be no dark powers to wrestle with. They will all be gone. Jesus Christ will reign without any type of distraction whatsoever. So, what is Satan's one agenda? Attack this fellowship. Put fear in you. Put unbelief in you. Tell you you can't. Tell you you're not worthy. Hopefully you see it's got nothing to do with your worthiness. It has everything to do with the demonstration of his wisdom. But the devil attacks that. God sent a man into the earth. And this man, who is eternally God, but he became a man, is the Lord Jesus and Hebrews, Jesus, it, it refers to Jesus, and he said, Sacrifice and offerings you would not, but a body you have provided me. And God the Father gave his son Jesus a flesh and blood body. He was human. And in that body, the Holy Spirit came. And upon that body, not only in it, but upon that body, the Holy Spirit came. And God anointed this Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that if you were to try to write down all of the miracles that Jesus did, there are not enough libraries to contain the books that one man was able to do in his relationship with his father and the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life. And he did it in three years. So Jesus. Very excited. Says to his disciples. I'm leaving you. And it's necessary that I go. Because if I go. I will send to you. Another. Just like me. The Holy Spirit, and he will come to you, he will be in you, and if you let him, he will come upon you and anoint you. And the works that I've done, greater works will you do because I go to my Father. Well, the devil couldn't stop Jesus, but he has been ferocious to stop the church, divide the church. Hinder the church, weaken the church, 
cause fear in the church, cause unbelief in the church, cause gossip in the church, cause slander in the church, cause all of these things, betrayal in the church. He works so hard to do all of these things so that I can create a hindrance in that fellowship because if that church fellowships, I'm going to be exposed in that generation. And that's where you see awakenings and revival in church history. That the Spirit of God was able to come upon a people who were truly desperate for God and for His grace. And God found those people and He poured His Spirit out upon them. And thousands and thousands would come to Jesus. That was what the Welsh revival was all about. Crime stopped and the police couldn't even work anymore. So they formed barbershop quartets and went and sang in the churches. And the coal miners' mules could not understand the commands of the coal miners anymore because they used to curse at them for their orders. And now they're born again and they don't curse anymore. And the mules didn't know what to do. This is what history teaches us. Why? Because the Holy Ghost came. And he found a people he could work through. But it doesn't take long for a little bit of bitterness and a little bit of unforgiveness and a little bit of strife and a little bit of betrayal and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a little bit over time. And I can reclaim all of this. And Satan has reclaimed America. But he can be beat. If the church would rise up as the church in fellowship of Jesus Christ, but yet we have turned the church into an event or a place of meeting where we hear preaching and then we leave and we go our way. When we said, no, 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 this is, this is the, this is the one place I can serve to fulfill God's divine purpose and God's intent. I get to be a part of that, and I will be a part of that. And you get to serve the Lord, and you get to function in that way. So I want you to go to Genesis 11. Because I'm talking to you about the end of the world. I know it may not sound like it at this point, but I want you to hear about the end of the age and the church glorious. Because I believe we have a task before Jesus comes back. And I don't believe we're supposed to lay down and die or hide ourselves in some cave While the world gets more difficult, I believe we're going to learn from our brothers and sisters in China and North Korea and other places in the Middle East where, where Christians have been persecuted and the gospel has continued to grow. And, and in this particular passage in Genesis 11, you can just begin to read through it. I don't have time to go through everything, but here's a people that are on the face of the earth. They speak one language. They have one speech. And what they desire to do is to build a city and a tower unto heaven. Their purpose in wanting to do this is lest they're scattered upon the face of the earth. The tower that they're building is not just a skyscraper and, you know, just some, you know, monument we could build to ourselves. It is an attempt to reach into an occultic world. And they were moved by that. If we could tap into that occultic world through this tower that we're building and we can maintain our unity and not be scattered upon the face of the earth, then we will be a powerful people. God comes down and he sees it and God admits the people are one. One speech, one language. Whatever they imagine, they will do. Let's scatter them upon the face of the earth. So even here in Genesis 11, which I'm going to focus on over the next few weeks, 
But even here in Genesis 11, you find the, the demonstrated spirit of Antichrist. A world in unity under a demonic power. Revelation 13 tells us that the Antichrist receives his power from Satan. And the world will be one. And there'll be one religion. And there'll be one currency. And God's going to let it happen in the end. But it wasn't time for it to happen now. So God didn't let it happen in Genesis 11. But he's going to let it happen in the near future. And when that world becomes one. And that's why you see globalists trying to talk about a one world system. And why depopulation is so important. And the manipulation of the people through Marxist philosophies and so forth like that. Is to try to create that that unity that that the devil knows if i could get that the potential of the human is incredible god even said whatever the man thinks he will accomplish it and so satan understands this please just stay with me for a minute satan understands this satan has probably a little bit more insight into some of the desires and the design and the intentions of God than maybe we do. Because Satan is a spiritual being who actually perceives and sees and communicates even with God. And he was there when God created the, 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 the man and the earth and the heavens. He was there when the, the angels were all there when God was producing all of this. And so he probably has a little bit more insight into this. And when God made the man... Out of the dirt of the earth and God breathed into the man and the woman and they were created in the image of God. Satan had to see that. No, they're not like us. We're angels. They're not. They're not like us. God has put his breath in them. They are in his image. If I can get into that man... And that man is one and united. I will produce through that man whatever I desire. And God busts it up. Now, Satan will never be able to do all that he desires because he can't overcome God. But we know his intent is to overthrow the purposes and the plans of God. And the contest started. And Satan's trying to regain a world in unity. And if the church would have fellowship and unity, what might the Holy Spirit be able to produce in the earth? What are the possibilities? I'll tell you. Not just what man is able to think. Because Ephesians 3.20 says, I will do more than you can imagine or think. And if that church could become united under the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, the abilities are just without limit. So I want to, I want to read two scriptures in closing. I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 2. And then I want to go to 1 Corinthians 12. And I just want you to see the beauty of this. In Ephesians chapter 2. Dear Lord, please let us have understanding. In Ephesians 2.19, says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, 
but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I don't care what modern theology is trying to teach us. I'm built upon the apostles and prophets. I'm built upon what they said, not what they're saying today. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now listen to this. In whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord. And that's what God wants. He wants it to grow. And I believe the church through the centuries has. I don't think we have any way to measure how effective the church has been since its birth 2,000 years ago. We have no idea the number of armies that have been turned to flight because of the prayers of God's people. We have no idea how many civil wars have been stopped because of the prayers of the church of Jesus Christ. We have no idea to understand how much of darkness and crime has been stopped because of the church of Jesus Christ. Because when the church is taken out in the rapture, you're going to see a world without the church. And it is full of demonism and death and slaughter and mayhem. So we have no idea to judge that. But when the manifold wisdom of God is demonstrated, we'll see it. How beautiful has the church been through the centuries? And so he says this in verse 22 of this building that's a temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. You are a part of this building and your whole purpose is to be the habitation of God through the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the only one that can give God what He desires from your life. Now you should really be glad about that. Because He can do it. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is our last scripture, please read it with me. It says this, Have I been speaking fast? Is the clock right? I got like 50 more minutes, 40 more minutes. This is great. First Corinthians 12, visitors, don't worry. I'm probably telling you the truth. First Corinthians 12, 13. Listen to this. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. There's no racism, there's no bondage, there's no social class in this body. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Now pause for a moment. Because a lot of times when we're reading this, we just read it and say, okay, foot says to the hand, I'm not of the body. But how many times have you said that? How many times have you said, I don't fit in? I don't know my place. I'm not valuable. If I weren't there, they wouldn't even miss me. Those are the thoughts of Satan. Those are his attacks against your life. Because the hand needs the foot and the foot needs the hand 
And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where's the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, then where is the smelling? But now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. As it pleases you? No. Because God's going to put you in the body where you are demanded to live by faith. Not where you're required to live by comfort. He's going to put you in the body of Christ. Maybe not where you have a bunch of talents, but where you have no talents for that. And therefore, I have to really trust the Holy Spirit to move through my life in the body of Christ. Doesn't mean he won't use your talents, but maybe where he puts you is in a different place than you feel like you ought to be. How many people have left churches because they just feel like, oh, it's not the place I want. It's not the ministry I want. And maybe it isn't. And it might not be the ministry that the Holy Spirit really has for you. Maybe man put you into that. But there could be conversations and prayer to get you to the right place in the body where you're serving God as you desire to serve him and where it pleases him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. This is beautiful. Because the Holy Spirit is attacking practically every excuse on two levels. The level of a person Demonstrating a false humility that I'm of no value. God could never use me. The body doesn't need me. I have no place. To another attitude from another member in the body that would suggest we don't need you. You're not relevant to what God's doing in our church. Well, I would say that's not a relevant church. Because everybody that is in Christ is relevant and their life which is the holy spirit is relevant and how dare anybody that is truly in the body of christ say to another member of the body of christ you don't give much value and i do not perceive your worth well big deal what you perceive it's what the holy spirit perceives and so you cannot say i have no need of you nor again the head to the feet i have no need of you No, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. So we don't all look the same. We don't all do the same. We don't all act the same or serve the same. We don't all praise the same or pray the same. doesn't mean your praise or your prayer is inferior to somebody else's. You do that in faith before God. And then he says, and those members, verse 23, which we think to be less honorable, we think... Upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacks. And so here's here's the deal. If you're really serious, and it's not a false humility, and you're really serious about, I don't have much value. I don't have much to offer. I don't know my place. I don't know where I fit in. I feel like if I were to serve God, 
it, I would be more of a hindrance than I would a blessing. What is God saying to you? Those of us that may have that attitude or that that confession, what is God saying? I will pour more honor upon you. I will give it to you. There's no excuse for my body not fellowshipping. There's no reason you can't. And there's no reason you shouldn't. Because God puts us there and gives us the honor that we need to serve the Lord as we should. And any part that lacks, God will meet it. I would say to you, in regards to these last days, the end of the world, the coming of Jesus Christ, a world in chaos, a world full of hate, with no solutions and no solutions on the horizon, that within this gospel is the answer. But it's not what we say only. It's what we demonstrate. And when we can become a people that literally cherishes one another and honors one another, And loves one another. Even what somebody might perceive to be a feeble effort. God uses it so powerfully. It's what God does to it. It's not what you did. It's what God does to it. And even people who are wanting to do something for God. That may fall flat on their face. In a type of failure. God just comes and rubs honor on it. And instead of it being a disaster for God's kingdom and a glory for Satan, God stands them up. And it was like, look what I did. Look what I did. Hey, Peter, it's Pentecost morning and the streets of Jerusalem are filled with people who denied me. Peter, you denied me, didn't you? Why don't you come preach to them? Why don't you do it, Peter? Because I want to demonstrate my wisdom. And church... The 119 of you left in the upper room, don't sulk because he got to and you didn't. Rejoice because you're a body. And if one gets to do it, you all get to do it. You're all a part of it. So rejoice in that. And so if I can, do you recall the proverb I gave you? A foolish woman She destroys her home. It's not intentional. It's foolish. It's not on purpose. It's folly. If she knew what she were doing, she would never do it. And the reason I gave you that proverb is because according to Ephesians chapter 5, we are the bride of Christ. If you will, we're that woman. And in this last day, we can be foolish, a foolish wife. And instead of building his house up, we can tear it down. Or we could be that wise woman who builds it up. 
I, I, I cannot for the life of me perceive a woman, whether in this room or elsewhere, who falls in love with a man. He proposes and asks for her hand in marriage. And immediately the heart of that woman just begins to literally dream and plan the home she's going to have. Her love for her husband and what she wants to give him. The joy that she wants to have in the home. The good things that they want to have. And with all of her excitement and all of her joy to be able to be joined together with this man in marriage forever fills her heart with such longing that it's not jobs and careers and money that that we can get together, but it's like, let's build a life together. I met some friends that I hadn't seen in years celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary recently. It's like, you know, we can build this home for all of the joy and all of the success. But after you get married and now your husband and wife, you begin to realize things happen you don't plan on. And sometimes there are problems and sometimes there are issues, especially when kids come along and there are more problems and there are more issues and then all of a sudden we can begin to be dealing with conflict and everything else like that. And perhaps out of fear, perhaps perhaps out of a noble desire, she begins to touch things that are not quite right and maybe not quite ready to be touched, but it's my desire to fix it. But she breaks it. And it's the same thing with the church of Jesus Christ. He called us to fellowship. He called us to come out of our homes and come to public places where we can gather together for the purpose of publicly worshiping him and demonstrating him to a world that's watching so that all men could see this fellowship, the power of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And also to demonstrate his wisdom to principalities and powers. And so we come into this thing called the church and we think, who's going to stop us? What's going to stand against us? What could ever confront us with any authority or any power that would have any ability whatsoever to stop our stride as the church of Jesus Christ? But God allows the conflict. He allows the battle. And he allows internal conflict. And at that moment, we can be a wise wife or a foolish wife. And we can allow the battle with the devil to become the battle with each other. And instead of maintaining our fellowship, we begin to divide a little bit from that fellowship. And we have some animosity towards one another. We have some bitterness towards one another. We have some jealousy towards one another, some envy towards one another. Because why were they chosen and I was not chosen? Why were they selected and I was not selected? And I feel this about them. I feel hate from them. I feel hurt from them. This and that and all these things that might go on. And the devil's just coming and trying to divide that. But it's in, if we could put those things at the cross and trust who is in the house who is the Holy Spirit he can heal all of these things so I don't want to break it 
without allowing him to heal it. And so sometimes we have to put ourselves down in order for his work to be done. Sometimes we have to step up in his strength and power to deal with something so that the devil's work cannot succeed. But it's to be led by the Holy Spirit. So you see, beloved, when the Bible says be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not just a good idea. We will break the house if the Holy Spirit's not leading us. In an effort to do something good, we will do something damaging if it's not by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to ask you to stand with me. And the thing that I just want to appeal to you this morning is, I believe we're the last day's church. Regardless of what's gone on before us, the generations before us, I just want to ask you this, and and please try to be still. But I want to ask you this. Regardless of what's gone on before us throughout the generations, is there anybody here simply because you love Jesus and you're grateful that he would marry you and bring you into his house you would say to him I want you to get everything that you desire from my life and in your house I'm desperate for your Holy Spirit I'm desperate for him I want to serve you but a lot of times I don't even serve you because I use the excuse I don't know what you want me to do Therefore, I do nothing because I'd hate to do the wrong thing. If you see a need in the body, it's probably something the Lord wants you to get involved with. He's not gossiping with you about a need. He's trusting your love to get involved to help it. How many of us would say, because I love you, I don't want to beat the children. I don't want to abuse the children. I don't want to cast the children aside. I want to see as relevant and valuable everybody in this room is valuable to my life and I want to live in a way that's valuable to them so for the love of Jesus would you be that bride would you ask for that wisdom would you be careful with his church because if his wisdom is to be known it can only happen through the church And before Jesus comes back, let's be a church that will demonstrate that glory. Would you join me? Would you desire that? And if you would, would you just come to these altars?